we're talking about today, broadly speaking, change, but then specifically at the heart of change, God is in to change. I think there's three kinds of people out there. There's uh, people who won't change. There's people who uh, will change all the time. And there's some people who only will if they're given the right kind of information. I wonder which one you are. Um, you, You love change. You won't change or you will change if you're given the right information, yeah? Um, so how do you know where you are? Let me ask you this question. When is the last time you did something for the first time in your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When is the last time you did something for the first time in your life? You see, people who love change are always doing first-time things, yeah? Always doing first-time things. They can rattle off two or three different things they did first time, all the time. Uh, people who don't like change, who won't change, can say, I can't remember the last time I did something for the first time. Yep. And then there's other people who go, yeah, if there's a good reason for it, I will. You, you, we, we predominantly don't like change and the, the way I, I know this is because I bet most of you are kind of, if you've been coming along for a few weeks, few months, few years now, you kind of gravitate and sit in the same area of the room. Did you know that? In fact, you might have even your own designated chair. And you go, I'm sitting in, that's mine. And someone else comes and sits in it and you go, hmm, I'm a bit upset about that. But I'm learning to follow God. I should be kind to you. Yeah? And, and, and so you can have that. But next time, yeah? Yeah, and so there's, there's some people who go, you're sitting in the same chairs. The best thing for you to do is if test yourself out on this. Next week, if, if you decide to return, sit in a different place. See what it feels like, yeah? In fact, some of you actually go, I kind of like the people around me and it's comfortable and it's safe and I just want to stay there. Others of you go, man, I'm going to change chair every week because I am so into change. When I first got married, I did something that a married man should never do. I tried to change my wife. (laughs) I remember we were having discussions about change. Actually, she wasn't, I was. (laughs) And and along the way, I remember that um, I kind of grew up in a family of four boys and so I didn't understand the way a female brain worked. Um, My mum wasn't a female. Um, She was my mother, right? And, and so along the way, I remember, I remember we were married in those first few months. Um, we were having conversations and in my thinking, she would say, we're talking about, let's just for the, for the sake of it, point A. We are talking about point A, which is here. And then somewhere in the course of the, of the conversation, we would shift radically, radically up to point C up there. And, and I would stop really confused and go, wait, wait, wait a second. How on earth did we move from point A to point C, right up there. You know, surely there must have been a point B along the way. And so this is how bad I, I was. I confess, this is how bad I was. I actually took out at times a piece of paper <laughs> and I would say, can we please just map what happened? I would not recommend this for any new, newlywed men, Tim, all of that, okay? Um, what, what would, and, and so what I would do is I would actually uh, go point A, we were talking about this, and then we went up to point C up here, which could be point Z in, in my thinking. And, and what I'd like to know is why didn't we pass B on the way? And then I would say things like, you know, the way in which you think is kind of different to me. It's kind of less logical than me. <laughs> Are you meaning to tell me that I'm illogical in the way? No, 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 act, no. I, I really, maybe. 
along the way. I was talking to someone else this weekend and uh, they, they said, I've got a messer of a husband. Does anyone here have a messer? In, in, their, in their home, in their family, a messer. There's only one messer. And I said, well, what do you do with the, the messer? She, she said, actually, I'm far more organised. And so um, I, the first thing I did was I modelled change. I modelled change. And so on my side of the room, I modelled neatness. And I said, what happened? Nothing, still the messer mess. I said, okay, then what did you do on your work, work, work through change here? You know, and they said, well, the second thing I did was I asked. So this is the polite conversation. I asked, would you please, you know, then, uh, you know I, and, and what happened? Nothing, the mess is still mess. Okay, then, then what did you do? The third thing that she said she did was that she, she actually had a discussion. <laughs> I like this, that's code. You, that's code, code. We had a discussion. I said, then what happened? Nothing, the mess continued to mess. And I said, finally, what did you do? She said, finally, I went on strike. Ooh, that's the line in the sand. Anyone gone on strike here before about trying to strike? <laughs> Drew a line in the sand. I said, what happened? Nothing. It didn't change. Nothing changed. I said, you know, the problem was what? She goes, what was the problem? They need to experience pain. Unless people experience pain, there won't be any change. That's the great changer. So, so she said, do you mean I'm supposed to allow the clothes to just sit there and when they go to work and I haven't ironed the shirt, then they can turn up later on it themselves. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You are, he's on a good wicket, this guy. Iron the shirt? I said, yes, you must leave the shirt on the ground until there is so much pain that there is change along the way. One of the psychologists by the name of Scott Peck, psychiatrist, he said there's going to be no change in people's lives if you don't have these four internal tools happening in your world. One, that you've, if you don't have control of your own desires, if you can't control your wanter, even if you want to make a change, you won't stick at it because you don't have any control. If you continue to blame everyone else for your problems and your pains, if you are closed and say there is no other way of doing this, there is no other way around this. All I can see is the way in front of me and there is no other way. Then you will not change. Lastly, if you resist it along the way. In fact, he goes on, if I can, these are in my words. I'd say, if you have self-control, so the things you want to change, you can stick, stick at. If you take ownership for your own world and your own life and your clothes that are sitting on the ground, if you are open to other ways of viewing the world, ah, oh, is that what it's like when things are neat? on the ground. Oh, I didn't know that reality existed. I find the things I'm looking for. Amazing. And then if you make room, literally make room to adapt to the change. You see, what we're talking about today is that at the heart of it, change is hard. And unless we have an inside experience on the outside, things won't change. I call it the push-pull. And the third thing we need is power along the way. You might be sitting here this morning and think, I'd like to change my job. I'm bored in my job right now. And then the pull is, there's another job out there and they offer me more money and they seem like they're more friendly people and that's more enjoyable experience. But then to actually make that transition, there's another thing you need. The motivation to get up and to get out and to go on. You see, I wonder if you've ever considered that God might have allowed some pain to increase in your life so that he might be prodding you toward change. Not all the pains in our lives, but some of them. That friend of yours that is just so honest in their appraisal of who you are, 
They offer you loving, kind words, but they hurt at the same time. They're true. That, that, that behaviour, that habit that you've continued on with and that you've wondered, you know, I should probably deal with that at some stage and that the pain hasn't reached high enough levels yet before there's an internal drive and motivation along the way. You see, at the heart of change, there needs to be a new power, a new motivation that's released into people's lives. And that's where I want to pick up with things today. As you're looking at, at the book of the Bible, um, and, and if you want to follow with us, this U version is just fantastic. I can't speak well of enough. If you want to download it now onto your app and follow with me, in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, a, bi- a guy by the name of Luke uh, writes the events that happened after the, the resurrection of Jesus. And this is where the story picks up. Are you ready to go? We're talking about change. We're about to change right now. You ready? Okay, I'm, 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 up, I'm up for it. Okay, so this is what's written in Acts chapter 1, 6 to 8. Then they gathered around him, that's in the, the, that you saw from that clip there, the disciples, followers of Jesus, uh, much less than 120 there, gathered around him in, in, his, in the state in which he'd come back to life and he was on, on the earth for, for 40 days and they asked him this question, Lord, that's Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Let's just pause there for a moment. You see, in a Jewish person's mindset, there was this promise that God had made that one day he would fix the world, that he would bring his restorative power and his loving compassion and his justice to this world. Some people wouldn't like that because it meant they were called to account. Other people would love it because they'd been waiting for God to come and do something to fix the world. And so they said, Jesus, at this stage, because that's been floating in their head, are you going to come now and establish God's reign, God's power, that time that we look forward to in the future right now? And he said this, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This word power, the word is dunamis, um, the Greek word. This is where we get our, our word for dynamite. He said, unless there's going to be some kind of explosion in you, that that's actually going to precipitate you to go out into all of the world and that's going to happen by my agent, the Holy Spirit. The who? Uh, Followers of Jesus, they believed in a trinity of God. That is, uh, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. One of the best kept secrets going out there in the world is that God has a power by which people can change in which he's affecting change in the world and fixing it. And he does it by the agency of God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God's change agent comes on you and you will be my witnesses. If there was a new Roman emperor that had been placed on the throne, in order for the remote regions of the empire to experience and hear of that good news, they would send out witnesses into all of the highways and the byways, declaring there is a new king and he's ascended to the throne, maybe Nero, maybe Claudius. That's what they would do, those Roman emperors. Send out witnesses and Jesus is doing the same thing. Heralds into the world. goes on and says this, when the day came that Jesus was talking about just then, the day of Pentecost, they were all gathered together in one place. If you're a Jewish person, this makes complete sense. Pentecost was 50 days after Passover that's just been celebrated. Passover, 50 days on from there, was when the, the farmers would bring in their wheat crop, the first grain, the first head of wheat, and they would say, God, thank you for providing for this, and would you please help the rest of the crop come in? 
but also deep back in the, the, the annals of their mind and the history of the, their people, they also knew that 50 days after being liberated from Egypt, Moses stood on a mountain and received on tablet form God's Ten Commands and it was that time in which they received God's life, God's laws written on these commands. 50 days after, this was the celebration, Pentecost. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, that's languages, as the Spirit enabled them. It went on and it goes and says this, utterly amazed were all of these different people, the Jewish people that had come from all different frameworks and countries and nations speaking different languages they came to the temple into Jerusalem for this celebration utterly amazed they asked aren't all these who are speaking Galileans they're just country folk from the north they don't know our language but yet how is it that each one of us hears them in our own native language speaking of the great deeds and the power of God it goes on and says this in the moment there when they were saying, what does all of this mean? Peter stands up and says, what you are witnessing right here is nothing more than what's been foretold by the prophet Joel and other spokespersons for God that one day he would pour out his spirit and he would soften human hearts. So soften, softened human hearts would then be inclined to want to, not have to, not compliance, but would want to do what God wants. And this is Peter jumps up and explains this event that's taking place. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. The message that they declared and proclaimed, we've seen a dead man come back to life. But now they were experiencing an inner change in them that gave them confidence and boldness to declare it to others. And it goes on and Peter says in, in that continued part of his speech, he said, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. He's been exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised spirit and he's poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both the Messiah, that is the Messiah of the Jewish people and the true king and rightful Lord and boss and CEO and governor of this world. That was the message they proclaimed. And then when the people heard this, this was their response. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, I want you to repent and be baptised, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift, the change agent of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for you, for you, for you, for you, for myself. You see, this word here, repent, just meant you need to do an about face and a change in the way you're thinking about God. Ariane said it just spectacularly this morning. There was a, a time in her life where she said, you know what, God, um, I'm not even sure if you're up there and if you're up there, I don't even care for you. You see, there's an attitude that runs for you through human beings that goes something like this. God, uh, I want to rule myself. 
I want to please myself. I want to serve myself. And if I want to leave my clothes on the floor, I will do that too. (laughs) But you see, at the heart of that indifference to God doesn't change his love for people like you and I. And the moment a person says, I actually change my thinking, I change my direction about God, it opens up someone to change. And the promise is simply this, you will receive a gift, God's change agent in your life. If I could summarise it, it would look like this, turn and change the course Believe and place your trust and you will receive, if you like, there's the push, there's the pull and there's a new power that will work in your life. This week I was out uh, in the office just on the other side of the courtyard here and I heard that there was a new installation uh, uh, being uh, done in the art gallery and it was called We All Need Forgiveness and the curator came across and said, would you like to meet the artist? who's actually getting her artwork installed right now. I said, sure, I'd love to. And I went across and met this amazing lady, so amazing I've actually said to her, would you come back and tell your story here in a few weeks' time? She comes from an Indigenous background. And uh, when we got talking, she said, actually, this whole artwork display in the gallery here is my story about faith in God. (laughs) She said, I I did jail time. Uh, I come from an Indigenous background, which meant I I carried hurt and anger and bitterness in my life. said, I'd come to know God, but I kind of didn't let him do any changes in me until I started obeying him and doing what he said. So he said, I came to, she said, I came to a point in my life where I began to forgive. I forgave the colonisation. I forgave the stolen generation. I forgave and it said it come through my whole line in my family. When I started to experience that forgiveness and give and offer that forgiveness... I began to change. It was like God was working in and through me. She said, this one particular installation right in the middle that you can go in during the week and see, she said, this is my story right here about how I encountered God. (laughs) And it's there on display for everyone to see because there's been change in my life and it's been for good. Would you like to hear a story? I'll come and I'll say, come on, come come and tell us your story. You see, there was a push and there was a pull and there was a new power that was released. You see, there are some people who say they know Jesus. They've kind of invited him in, but there hasn't been much change. Have you ever noticed that? A habit, a behaviour, a characteristic that just kind of still lingers, hidden away, not touched, still defines, still holds, still binds. That the heart of God is change. You see, God isn't interested about populating this world with people. He's interested in transforming the people and the world one by one by one. God isn't interested in just populating the numerics of followers. He's actually interested in transforming individuals like you and I so they can transform the world for his good. I liken it to a house. We've been doing some renovating in a house over the last 55 years <clears throat> and it comes at a great deal of pain 
Because what you need to do is lift off old boards and replace them with new ones. You need to dust out old cobwebs and rats' nests and snail shells and all these kind of terrible things that happen behind the walls of your houses. And, and, and you need to do replacing of things and it comes with a great deal of expense and hardship and pain. Anyone relate with me here? That's how it is with God as well, with people. Someone says, you know, Jesus, come into my life and, and they, it's as though they open the front door. Come on in. Come on in. And this is where you can stay. Just in the front door. But you see, they've got all these other rooms in the house. Other rooms of the house that they kind of conveniently close the doors on. And they've kind of said to Jesus, uh, indirectly or directly, they've said, you know what, the the, the bedroom, no, you're not allowed in there. Uh, The kitchen, mm -mm, mm -mm. the study, too messy. Uh, The laundry, you would not believe what needs washing in that laundry. You can just... And so they close the doors and they take up little signs that say keep out. Now some of them are there because they're they're wounds in those rooms and, and it's difficult to even face them yourself. And so why would I let someone else go tinkering in one of my rooms where there's a hurt, where there's a pain, there's a grievance? Or maybe there's a behaviour, an attitude, an addiction that just sits in another room And it just sits there behind the door and there's nothing that's changed about it because you're ashamed of it. You're ashamed of it, you don't want to admit it, but it just keeps on hooking you in time and time again. You see, at the heart of the message of the following Jesus kind of faith is that there is a God and you are of infinite worth to him and we just don't get how much God loves. Loves, loves, loves. There's no change that God will want to make in your life that ultimately isn't for your ultimate good or for his direct or indirect glory. You see, what God wants to do is bring us to a place of wholeness and healing that would reflect him back into the world, transformed lives that others might see. wow, is that the God who forgives? Is that the God who changes? Is that the God who works in people's lives? Even them? Yeah, even them. So I wonder... Which doors and which rooms in the house have you? Because what I find with God's Spirit is that when God's Spirit starts blowing and breathing on people new life, there is change. Sometimes slowly, sometimes magnificently profound, but yet nonetheless change. Sweeping through. As steady as the sun rises in the morning and sets in the evening, a change that is so consistent it reaches into the heavenly places and it's as though God's heavens have taken up residence here in my life, right here on earth. Change. How do you change the outside? Have an encounter with God on the inside. How do I know if I need changing, Troy? Well, just ask. If not, ask someone who really knows you well (laughs) and I'll tell you. (laughs) But just ask God. And usually you'll feel it like a knock in the guts or a gentle persuasion, conviction that something needs to change. And when does change happen? When just like the Alcoholics Anonymous, they reach the point where they say, I have a problem and that's me. And I am powerless to change. God, would you? Would you?
Would you? You're going to hear a song in a moment. Come on up, guys. I want to tell you a story about a sailing day I had. I was on a boat, not like this one. It was much smaller. It was up kind of up north. And I was racing against a mate. That's not like me to be competitive. <clears throat> and, and we had to head that way to the finish line to get past the buoy and it was up that way, but the prevailing winds that day were blowing that way. That way. And, and so we had this challenge. Who could get to that point first? And I remember feeling the wind was blowing in almost the opposite direction and I had to make a choice. Either try and sail really close to the wind and if you know anything about sailing, the, the closer you get to the wind is also the moment in which you lose the power of the wind and you can stall. And I made a decision that I would head offshore, allow it to be blown by the wind for at least a kilometre beyond eyesight and then if I tack back again, I'll be in a position where the full breadth of the sails will be inflated and it will propel me forward. And the trick was, could I actually beat my friend who was sailing close to the wind if I went so far away? But it was where the wind was blowing. And so I decided to go with the wind. To go where the wind was blowing, where it could actually fill my sails. And sure enough, when I was beyond eyesight from land, I tacked back again and the full breadth of the wind was... I said goodbye to my friend as he was still a few hundred metres from the boy. You see, God's in and on about changing this world by blowing his ruach, his wind, his spirit, his life-giving spirit into it. And how does he change people? It's when they say, I will do what I sense the Spirit of God is prompting and nudging in me. And it comes to a choice. I can't get to that point unless I make a decision to allow God to breathe new life into me, to open up some of those doors the hurt ones, the resenting ones, that's when change happens. And in the midst of it, you open up your life and you surrender to Jesus afresh and you say, your will. I know you want to make me whole. I know you're not chastising me. You're not laughing at me. You're wanting to pour your life into me. I wonder this morning if you need to allow the ruah, the wind, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit to breathe new life and change into you. I've got a picture of a house here. It's an elaborate house. Best designed house you could imagine. But it's just got some rooms and some words. And I wonder this morning as you hear this magnificent song that's sung about broken vessels and about God's graciousness to work in them, if you might reflect upon your own house, your life. Is it characterised by fear? 
Is there resistance to God? A resentment that's built up over time that just keeps on budding into relationship after relationship after relationship and anger, a woundedness, where you feel like you're always dragging along behind you, this woundedness, this chip on your shoulder, a hurt, an apathy, a desire for control because things were out of control and an unforgiveness and there's no love in that house because there's no love for yourself. And this morning here in this place, as you hear this song, that you might prayerfully just turn your life towards the direction of the wind. Allow you to be filled by the breath of God, his spirit, that might propel you into new places. And that comes when you say, God, would you come into this room? I give you permission. Some people, when they experience God's spirit at work in their life, they just, they cry because he connects deeply with something in their emotion and it turns and it shifts something. And so there's just gentle, quiet, joyful tears. For other people, it's, it's just this sense of there's change and it's, they think differently. They feel differently about things. You need to cooperate with it. You need to turn your ship towards the wind, but... He moves nonetheless. So you hear the words of this song. Would you open up the door of your life and just say, God, is there anything you want to change? And then humbly, gently, open up the door and invite him into that. Allow him to do the work in your life that he wants.